Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release show. Show, 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 show. It's a horn in the background. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome. <laughs> Matt and I have just had a lovely conversation the last half hour. We are in a bit of a Y'all, we have slap, a problem. happy mood. And, we have uh, a problem. We're just too good of friends, you know? But we start these episodes into like what we've been on the phone for an hour one and hour half. and thirteen minutes, and we got forty five minutes left to we yeah, we just been joking around. So we, we got a problem. We gotta start at five these or, well, five my time, four, four your time. time. Anyway, my friends, it's good to have friends. Friends make life better. And on today's episode, Thank you for joining us. We're doing a fun topic called The Mistakes I've Made. And that's my working topic as of today. Um, we're going to talk about today things that uh, we did wrong or made mistakes early on or even recently. We're constantly learning and growing as humans. And uh, sometimes we make mistakes, even 10 years in, 12 years in. Everybody makes a mistake every once in a while. Like you know, uh, you know that uh, compressor that you thought <laughs> sounded really great. And then you're on your print and you're like, "Shit, that's in bypass." That's bypass mistakes <laughs> I've made. <laughs> you can cross that one off. Cross that one off early. the list there. So anyway, I think it'll be a fun episode. Um, Matt, are you ready to get into it? Do you want to do housekeeping? Oh man. I suck at housekeeping. I would love to, because we need to do it. Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? You want me to do it? I'll do it. Yes, great. Redeem yourself. Hello, friends and family. Do you like the Attack and Release show? Yes. Do you like Sam? Or maybe me? Oh, yeah. Maybe just one of us? Yeah. That's the only reason you tune in here. You're you're skipping past this little part? (laughs) Well, if you wouldn't mind going over to your local podcasting network, clicking like, comment something, you know, kind preferably, <laughs> leaving some stars, some thumbs up, or, you know, most importantly, sharing with a friend. That would be great. Um, what else do I got? Oh, so we offer some services. Sam, he, uh, besides dancing on Sundays, he, uh, <laughs> he does a little mastering on the side. So if you need any, if you need any mastering, same could be found over at MosesMastering.com or Instagram handle MosesMastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering or, yeah, that is a handle or For the Record Mastering.com. So, yes. I guess, do we have anything else for housekeeping? No, that was great, Matt. Thank you. I, I, I barely screwed it up. Proud of you. Yeah, the crowd goes wild. Everybody, right. give Matt some love on his Instagram that he did a good job in housekeeping. Once you hear this, go to his Instagram and tell him you loved his housekeeping. I'm gonna be so confused. <laughs> Matt, I loved your housekeeping. I'm gonna be so confused Not at what's going on. Not a service I offer. <laughs> you have the wrong person. I threw out the French maid outfit several years ago. Ooh. Anywho. Mistakes I've made. <laughs> talking about mistakes I made early on. Uh, Sam, why don't you... Why, uh, how, about, uh, how about I tee up and tee. you get into the first one? Great. Is that Tell my- us about those Logitech speakers. Oh, gosh. The pantyhose pop filter, perhaps. Now, the pantyhose pop filter was not a mistake I made. I think that was... It an, probably did pretty well. That was an innovation 
And for those listening, the pantyhose pop filter has made a, a number of appearances in our episodes. But when I first started recording, I took a hanger, undid it, made a little circle, and then took my mom's pantyhose and put it weird. over <laughs> the hanger. My new you didn't have to say whose pantyhose they were. It makes it better. No, we could have figured it out. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, definitely didn't have a girlfriend at the time. Um, so yeah, that was the pantyhose pop filter. And actually, it worked great. It it did what I wanted. I actually tested it against a coffee filter, <laughs> which was a bit more uh, hmm. blunt and dulling. NS10 vibe. Yeah. Didn't, well, didn't work going on. because the the coffee filter actually made noise when it would be ruffled by breath. So, mm. pantyhose pop filter and a hanger. If you're in a pinch, that's not a mistake I've made. Uh, mastering on Logitech speakers when I started, uh, yes, that was probably a mistake I made. Mainly because, well, you know what? I was ahead of my time in theory. So it was a five point one. <laughs> And now, mm. you know, Apple's announcing their spatial mastering, whatever support, and Dolby Atmosphere. And so, you know, maybe I was just ahead of my time by about 10, 12 years. So, <laughs> mistake. Happy Do you need mistake. to bring them back? <laughs> yeah, I'll bring them back. Sam's I actually, now offering a 7 1. 7 1. Get the barefoots, and he's got his. <laughs> and I have my Logitech 5 1 all rigged up. There you go. Um, to be fully honest, I have that system still in a. Tub no, in the basement. Don't. Yes, I do. No crap. <laughs> no bull. So when crap. you're when you're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yes, <laughs> that will be under your picture. That'll be a, it'll be in like a box, you know, display next to like a shirt, and it'll say Sam Moses used this for his Dolby Atmosphere Masters. Um, okay, so that is neat, but. Should I get into like a uh, a real mistake in theory? <laughs> sure, because <laughs> those two were kind of funny. Um, okay, I have a long list because I've made lots of mistakes, but in no particular order. I'm just going to read down the and go one by one. Uh, mistakes I've made: uh, misunderstanding that clients come to you with questions. Um, and often you might think they're annoying um, or that they want to be right or that they're questioning your skills. But often they're coming to you with questions for you to give them the answer or help educate them. This is a mistake I made by not understanding early on mm -hmm. that when clients tell you something, they are really almost always asking your actual opinion um, because they're coming to you wanting to work with you and also wanting to pay you, so that's neat, um, to be part of their record. They want you on their team. This is not a them coming to you to try to prove that you suck at mastering situation. And I think for me, when I started, I took everything as a really kind of a personal attack. And I felt like when questions would come up or people would ask things, you know, still about loudness at Spotify, it's very easy for me to go, why don't they just know this answer? Why can't they just already know what the answer is? You know, it's so annoying. Don't they know this, this basic thing? And then I have to remember that what is basic for me is only basic because I've studied it. I've immersed myself in it. I have the experience in it. And they're coming to me to help them understand it better most of the time. 
So that was one of the mistakes early on. For like the first few years, I really fought against um, really kind of being on a team with the client. Instead, it kind of always felt like me having a bit of friction with people, trying to prove to them why they were wrong or maybe... It probably, I don't know if it ever came came off that way, but it was probably like almost talking down to people um, because I'm, I'm the expert or whatever. So viewing things, that's a mistake I made early on, was basically understanding that this is a two-way street, a relationship, a team, and that I'm here to serve the client. And I did not understand that early on, and that's a mistake I made that caused a lot of stress friction, probably furthered my ego in a bad way, and Mm. probably didn't best serve the song at the end of the day if you're kind of arguing about the low end constantly with your client. uh, You know, everybody's going to be pissed off at each other. They probably won't come back, and the record will not be, you know, probably what it needed to be for the client, for the client's art. So I'll leave it at that. Mistake number one, that's a big one. Matt, I want to jump to you. What was a mistake you made? Um, mine's more just like experimenting. Yeah. And it's like just kind of like learning what works and what doesn't work um, early on. And you see a lot of people doing all this crazy like acoustic stuff. And we had our whole episode a little while on acoustics. And I uh, kind of let y'all in on the naked listen and how important <laughs> the naked listen is. Um, that has no correlation to the French made costume spoken about earlier. Um, so essentially whenever like getting started, and this wasn't like a period for a long amount of time. This was like very quick of realizing, oh shoot, I need to learn more about acoustics and what's all going on. And I had a little bit of a background in front of house and so it's like I understood uh, the importance of like rooms. And then it's like as far as like touring front of house, I understood or at least had a pretty solid primer of, oh, this is like how rooms are good and this is how rooms are bad. And you kind of learn that night to night and like different things that like affected rooms. So like like temperatures and like when people come into rooms and then, uh, when you do this, and then when you do that, and then um, you when you have like a really good, like acoustically solid room, what that sounds like as opposed to like when you're in a barn. So um, when I was kind of getting started and having minimal acoustic treatment and kind of learning about um, like, and I'll even talk about acoustic treatment of like, like I'll even cue music stand, like not music stands, uh, monitor stands into that whole gambit. And so not really mastering in a room or really doing anything acoustical, like, like, I don't know where you need to reference music professionally. Don't do that in a room where you're going to have all these crazy reflections going on and um, something that was kind of funny is there is this song where like it was it's an instrumental song. I'm trying to remember the band, but like at a certain part in the song, this like bird flutters from like one channel to the other, and <laughs> like at like 
it was such like a weird auditory experience that like you felt like the bird was smacking you in the face at a at a certain point. But then like I and I oddly used that as a reference point for like monitoring. Mm-hmm. Once again, this is a long time ago. And so I'm allowed to like talk about embarrassing things. And ever since that moment, I've never been able to get the bird to do that again. And then it finally dawned on me maybe a few years ago. Maybe that was because of how bad my room was. And like the reflections in my room were that bad. And I was so close to the front wall. And these speakers are so pinned up against that wall that the bird hit me in the face as a metaphor for you need to treat this room, dummy. So... Um, I had that, but then also you go on uh, a little bit of the inverse and you can get into way too much treatment. And so I've had times to where I was treating a room and then it's like if you've ever done like full rock wall or something like that, or you just do all absorption, let's just say that. Um, So you do all absorption and then you're just like, where'd my reverb tails go? It's like, this is my reference. And these puppies ain't anywhere to be found. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like two minutes, too little, too much. So then like gradually like talking to other people and like reading articles and getting into the whole science of like why acoustics and like why does this work here? Why does this not work here? Like why does my room that shouldn't work on paper, how does this work? And how are we going to make this work? And how do you make like a less than ideal situation work for you without having to like run to your car all the time and stuff like that. And so um, it's been a it's been a pretty interesting journey as far as acoustics are concerned. Two takeaways. One, treat your dang room. Mm-hmm. Stop buying all like the fancy gear and whatnot and treat your dang room. Number two, measure your room and make sure you're not over-treating in certain areas. So those are my two takeaways. And I'm sure you have some type of parallel, Sam, when you were working in a laundry room. I do. I literally have a mistake I made was not investing into a good room and then into good gear. That's literally what I have written down. Mm -hmm. I echo that. There you go. (laughs) That was exactly what I had written down here. Well, what's your next one after that? Well, my next one after that would be I didn't charge enough slash didn't stand firm on payment or rate. And Mm, by this, I I mean... Huh? I have that one. (laughs) Yeah. Was basically I charged A, too little for too long. So I assumed my services were not uh, worthy of, say, a pro rate for many years because I didn't have Grammy yet or whatever award I had made up in my head that I had to have to be worthy enough to charge X amount of money for mastering. Um, And then once I did finally have the self-respect to go, yeah, I'm solving a lot of people's problems. I'm doing a service that someone else can't do and this takes time and it takes a lot of money to have a great room and you have to pay taxes on your on your money as well. So you actually need to make more money than you think you need to make to live off of this. You realize that you have to charge a a pro, what people will call a pro rate, just to really do this full time. Um, And so once I did start charging a pro rate, then often what people do is they like backpedal on the rate change really quickly. 
which there's one thing to have. I have this, and I don't. I think you might have too. I have this what I call grandfathered in clients that mm-hmm. started with me that I really love, and they really are the foundation of even allowing me to get to where I am today. And so, for those people that now, mind you, most of them has made the rate change fine over the years. Like no questions because they love my work. That's why they stick around. A lot of them early on were the ones to say you should be charging more anyway. Uh, that is a reality. You can have clients that love your work so much that they say you should charge more. Um, you know, and so for me, when I then upped my rate, there was a lot of times where you know, say you know what I charge now is 150 for like independent non-label releases, and so when I made that move a few years ago. Uh, you know, sometimes I have people that come and say, hey, I just have this amount of money. And I immediately be like, that's fine. You know, without, you know, asking them if there's more in the budget. Um, Or even, I mean, I literally did it today with an artist. um, And this has actually worked for me, (laughs) is something super simple where I have my rate and they're like, well, I only have this amount of money, so I don't think I can work with you. And then I literally just said, hey, you can save up the money to work with me if you want. Like, mm-hmm. if you really want to work with me, you know, you're not that far away. And of course, you could say, well, just come down. But at the same time, you know, people can save their money and, you know, I'm providing a service. So it's well, kind here's of like, also like, yeah, go ahead. Not to cut you no, off, go. but here's kind of like, here's the inverse of that as well is that like, you have a, like, Like, how many little onboarding forms do you get a day that you have somebody in your inbox already who is willing to pay that rate to have that spot in your session? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, but it's like, I, it's like, unless it's like a project that I'm absolutely in love with or like a story that I'm absolutely in love with, it's like, I got somebody who's willing to pay this right now that I can just put in the spot. Right. And so it's not like trying to be a jerk. It's just like, this is, it's nothing personal. It's just business. It's like, right. That's one of the reasons you raise your rate is because, like, I'd had to uh, a few months ago because it's like, I'm just like so far backlogged that it's like, if you're so far backlogged, then you probably need to raise your rates if you're pretty low. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's hard to cut you off. No, that's great. I mean, that is true now of like, I do, I have plenty of full rate clients. And work booked out for weeks and weeks. It wasn't always that way for people listening. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where I've just simply said, hey, you can save up and most likely, you know, you have time to save and it would be better for you to save in general to get the best Sonics, you know, at mastering or mixing. I tell them, you know, for any stage, sometimes people will contact me before they've even like gotten to mixing and they have a budget worked out, and I'm kind of like, well, if you did this, you could work with this person, and then I can master it, and you'll actually get you know, a much better record, or they're actually people that have worked on the records you like, you know, and you can save your money for a few more months and, and get kind of that sound and go with, you know, have peace of mind and confidence that's going to come back sounding awesome. Um, and a lot of times the people will be like, Thanks. Like, that's great. (laughs) Like, I will save up, you know, like they haven't thought about it that way. Um, And because most of the time, you know, there's no one really waiting on most people's music. Like, we make fake kind of release dates or urgency a lot of the time. 
And it's okay to to shift that timeline a bit if you're going to get a better product that you're more proud of that you know will compete better and further your long term goals. So um, that's just a little side tangent, but yeah, mistake I made early on didn't charge enough and then didn't stand firm on payment. And I think within that, a lot of people don't realize like if you're if you're doing if you want to give do a project on excuse me, do a project on a discount, that's fine. I I do that. There are times mm-hmm. where I hear the song, hear the record or something, and I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Um, you know, I ask, you know, is there any flexibility? No, there's not. And we do have a deadline because of this, this, and this, and this. I'm like, okay, I want to do this record. I really like it. Or sometimes I'll find bands and or mixers that I really like, and I'll approach them. And when I approach people where I'm like, your music's freaking awesome, I want to do it. For me, that's a little different now at this stage because it's like if they're like, well, we usually just charge this and that's what we've had budgeted, then I'm like, all right, I'll do it because I came to you and I think you're awesome and I think you know, you're going to do something. So mm-hmm. there's different situations, but most people don't think about like if you're charging like 150 a song and someone's like, I only have 75, you've just cut your income in half like instantly, like 50% off. And if you do that the whole year, then that's a drastically different year <laughs> compared to sticking to your rate or doing less than that. So that's just kind of overall, like you can charge, you need to charge a rate that allows you to live. Um, That's the only way this is going to work even long-term anyway. So if you're out there, make sure you're charging enough. Make sure you're not necessarily just so firm. You can be 100% firm, but make sure you have conversations with people and help them understand they can save their money or why you charge what you charge. You You don't necessarily have to convince them, but... There are ways about uh, charging a pro rate early, more early on. Most people I know are charging way too way or not enough. Sorry. Um, so yeah, that was mistake number two. What's yours, Matt? Next one. Um. So essentially, it kind of. I'll I'll start off just kind of like like a little metaphor thing. Great. Not like in like a poetic sense, but it's kind of like. <laughs> Like you, you ever been on an airplane and like they tell you through like the little safety brief of like in case of de- like cabin depressurization, like a little oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling and it's like secure your mask before helping others. And the reason they tell you to do that is not because like to take like to not take care of your kid or something like that who's sitting next to you. It's so you can take care of the person sitting next to you because. If you can't breathe, then you're of no good to anyone else. And so my number, whatever the heck number we're on, is um, I don't work weekends and I don't work nights anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like burnout. Um, yeah, it just you just kind of get into like a weird place and you just, I mean, one of our, it might have been the, might be the episode that's going to come out, that came out right before this episode is... Uh, essentially on the importance of saying no to certain things and kind of like recognizing burnout when it's coming and knowing when to, like, when you need to take care of yourself. But, I mean, the time that I stopped working weekends, I mean, I feel like I became a better dad. I feel like I became a better husband, and I'm definitely more present for kind of like everyone in my life. So I I guess that's kind of like quick and short and to the point, but I don't... I, I I just I don't know. I'd rather just hang out with my family, right? Than 
like hang out on my email and oh did so and so approve this or what's going on? And it's like don't get me wrong, if like someone sends me an email Friday night or Saturday or something like that, saying, Hey, we approve the album, then it's like, I don't know, I probably Sunday night I'll like log onto my computer just to get my schedule all straight for Monday morning and I'll be like, Oh cool, they did that. Let me get their DDP going. Right. And I can do it on a laptop, which is nice. Um so it's like a little Hoffa thing, just throwing some like AirPods or sometimes I have my headphones with me and it's like you don't need to do any sonically relevant information besides maybe like trimming or fading some stuff. And so more times than not, my wife likes hearing what I'm working on. So we're just hanging out and I'll just kind of play what <laughs> what I've been working on. So, um, but it's like, that's kind of about as much into it as as it gets. And normally it's like, I do that so that I'm not having to worry about that going into the week. Cause I already got other stuff going on for that week. So, um, but yeah, I want to be a dad and a husband on weekends and on nights or in night in night. Well, on in evenings. Yeah, whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Anyway, avoiding burnout is definitely, cause it's like, you get to that point and you keep on pushing, you keep on pushing and then it really doesn't take much, and then you get sick. And mm-hmm. it's like I've, I've had like business partners in the past and stuff like that just push themselves too hard, and uh, they'd like be like, Matt, you're, they're, you're like, how, like, how are you like not stressing all this? I feel like I'm the only one stressing out, and you like it feels like like you're not like kind of pulling your weight on stuff. And it's like, well, no, you're noticeably stressed when you have money, and you're obviously notice noticeably stressed when you don't have money. And so you need to pick one (laughs) because it's not fair to me that I have to put up with this type of burnout. And then what ended up happening to that one in particular business partner is he wound up in the hospital for three weeks with some type of blood disease that I don't know how the hell he contracted it, but um, it was pretty much he'd kind of like weakened himself and his immune system and he just hadn't been sleeping, hadn't been eating well and... It's like just trying to get like stuff taken care of for this other business. And it's like, I just kind of know through my own life about, okay, when stress comes on, these are the ways that we curb it and that we take care of ourselves. And this is, this is what we do. And so just like, like healthier ways of stress management as opposed to like, oh, just working through it and work harder and whatnot. And so, um, I actually don't think he's doing overly well today. So, but yeah, wound up in the hospital with a blood disease. And so it's like, well, now you can't work for three weeks. <laughs> so would it have been a little bit better just to slow down a little bit mm-hmm. and to like have a beer at night and to not like push yourself so hard? And I mean, now you're three weeks behind. <laughs> right. So, so much for all that extra work you put into it. So anywho, avoid burnout and then be a happier person and... uh but yeah, if someone's like, hey, yeah, if you have time this weekend, it's like, nope, I don't have time this weekend. I don't go out of my way to say that, but I'll be like, okay, yeah, next time I'm in the studio. Right. And uh, if like Monday rolls around, I'm like, hey, did you get to that? It's like, nope, I don't work weekends. So, however, if it is something that's like super urgent, there's like an absolute emergency, it's like once in a blue moon, I might do it. And it's like, like my schedule's got to be going crazy, like, Fit's got to be hitting the sham, like, like that whole thing. And like stuff's like, I don't know. It's like if it's something you have to make right as like the person, like you're the mastering engineer and you screwed stuff up somehow and like you like you kind of, yeah. Yeah. 
you then it's like, you know, you kind of got to make right. You kind of got to like pull a little bit extra time. Yep. It's like, I understand that, but it's like if someone can't manage their own time, it's like, well, I'm not going to fudge my time for, for that sake. So right. making, make sure you establish those boundaries very early with your clients that if they're expecting something on the weekend that you're audibly like, uh, that's not going to happen, bud. <laughs> you might do this in your spare time on the weekend, but I don't. Right. So anywho, go on to your next one. Love it. Just want to say I also had, I had boundaries with clients and burnouts written down. Got to. I fully agree once again with that mistake. Uh, did that as well. Ended up burned out. Ended up uh, in counseling therapy because <laughs> I was so exhausted mm. and diagnosed depression, anxiety, um, and had to spend a good year uh, recovering from that after going way too hard for about four straight years of doing that, of working weekends, working at 9 p.m., not taking care of myself, answer, letting clients run my life, um, which also, by the way, you know, was my choice. You know, not my client's fault. I agreed to do things like that. Yeah, none of this is the client's fault. Yeah. Um, which is why now... If you allow them to get away with it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... But yeah, that's, you know, now on my email tag, it always says, you know, close Saturday, Sunday. Um, I always tell people that. <laughs> it's been that's like good. that for like the last two years. So... You're like Chick-fil-A. Yeah. You know, you need break. You Come need back rest. on Monday for the good stuff. <laughs> right. Um, okay. The Lord's chicken. The Lord's chicken. Uh, let's see. Another mistake I have written down here. Um, assuming a label gig or famous artist would then solidify my career and work. Uh, this is something mm. a lot of people chase or assume that once you work with a label or an artist that is, you know, your parents recognize, your friends know, that then work just keeps piling in and like you just only work on like famous projects, you know, and that that's great. And the the one thing I can say that is good about those sorts of projects is usually it does increase credibility in theory, which you could then leverage, you know, to kind of say, I did this and you like it and the market likes it. So I must know what I'm doing, I suppose. Um, but within that, uh, the first time I did a label gig and uh, it was a very stressful, which was fine. I'd never done it before. So there's a lot they asked for deliverables that I didn't quite understand. But B, when it came out, did really well. But uh, I still was very early on in my career in theory. And I still had ups and downs. And as soon as the record comes out, of course, you need more records to come in. And there is nothing guaranteed about you being rehired again uh, from a label or from a mixer who, you know, just worked with you. And so you just have to always be killing uh, entitlement and always practicing, uh, you know, gratefulness, essentially, for any project that comes in that you're a good fit for. And so that was a mistake I made early on. I put way too much expectation um, an entitlement into thinking that once I do a label gig or once something goes number one or once something comes out that most people are like, I actually know that artist or I heard it on the radio that... What's it, the mom quotient? Yeah, it's the mom. You know, when your mom finally 
can be like, my son worked on that. That's my baby. And they finally believe that, that you're actually one. doing music, um, even though you've been doing it for five years. But anyway, that's part of therapy. Um, but yeah, that... Uh, Let it out. Yeah, I'm getting all out here. How did that make you feel? Yeah, made me feel like I wasn't seen or heard. Um, anyway... <laughs> I assumed that doing those things would solve a lot of my work problems. And really, um, it didn't. You know, it's you, you can get more bigger gigs in theory, but at the end of the day, like I've said it before, like label gigs often require a lot more of you in general, not just skill set, but of time and mental and emotion and uh, managing people within label gigs or higher up artists. There's a lot more involved just beyond having to master the the record, so it's a it's a give and take. Um, often the label gigs I do too, I do charge more for labels, but that's because they require more and it takes more time. Um, so you know, at the end of the day, it's I think people have this romanticized idea about label work, and it may charge you may be able to charge more, but it doesn't mean it's taking less time. Um, mm-hmm. always. Now, sometimes it might, but most of the time, it takes longer. So, that's a mistake I made early on. I assumed that once I did something that people recognized that I would just be good to go forever. And, I mean, in theory, like, I I have always just kept growing and growing, but it was, you know, there's still ups and downs and upsets, and, you know, that band may go somewhere else the next time, which has happened to me to, before, too. The record does really well. And then the label and the band goes somewhere else, the mixer goes somewhere else because they want a different sound. And that's great. So we all grow and have different seasons. But that was mistake, uh, I don't know, three, I think, of of just putting way too too high of expectation on assuming that having a label gig or famous artist would solidify all the work for the rest of my life. Okay, that's an easy one. Matt, Mine next. is more. I'm kind of like at the end of my list. Cool, but I have one more. Great, go. And it's gear. It's gear related. Yes. Um, this is a spec. This is essentially you buying a piece of gear early on, and then needing to justify to yourself that you need to use it on everything, <laughs> and like. Tube gear does not go well on everything. Not everything needs to be fatter. Not everything needs to have a vibe to it. Um, like I always recommend whenever you do get a piece of gear, like especially like when you're getting started in things, um, getting something that can kind of put you in a position that you are like, like you are a mastering Swiss Army knife more out of necessity than anything and a, and a and a lack of an operational budget at that time and uh but it's like if you hop into like a bougie piece of gear that's like super thick sounding and whatnot and kind of like expecting it to kind of be the world of things um one and it not being the world of everything and you're like oh well this isn't what the picture told my brain it was going to sound like <laughs> And so then you're trying to justify your purchase and like use it all the time, like as opposed to, you know, exercising some discipline 
and saying like like what greater like of a task is there than like spending however many thousands of dollars on a piece of of equipment and being disciplined enough to say this mix does not need this piece of gear. Mm-hmm. That right there is some pretty solid maturity. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think a lot of us exercise that enough. Um, and it's like, like, more times than not, less is more. And sometimes the thing that you spent a bunch of money on and then you spent a even more uh, amount of money on putting the the bougie tubes in and then... Uh, I don't know, then it kind of being down because you're not really expecting all the stuff of the gear, like all the maintenance that, that I mean, pieces can require over time. Um, and I don't know, I just think something is to be said for having discipline to be like, I'm not going to use this $5,000 piece of equipment because I don't think it's correct for the client and uh, I don't think it's correct for the for like the job in and of itself, the session at hand. So... Um, and then you kind of like, then you kind of get into like the interesting thing of do I, like, like you, you go into selling it <laughs> and you're like, okay, I can totally sell this for a loss. And it's like, if you can kind of like mentally, I, I, I have a very weird view of money. I think Sam does as well. Uh, my wife does not have this view. <laughs> she has a very normal view of money. My view of money is money is kind of like the tokens that you get when you play, like, I don't play this right now. Like, when I was a kid, you play Roller Coaster Tycoon or The Sims. And it's like, okay, I need X amount of money to get to this next part. And so, obviously, you have to have a little bit more discipline with that. And I don't know, there's like this rapper who said this quote. And I don't completely agree with it, but it definitely puts it in perspective of if you can't buy it twice, then you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of put money into a little more perspective for me of like, you should probably have a little bit more, like if a $4,000 piece of gear, you should probably have a little more than $4,000 that time. So, um, I don't like, but like when it comes to selling that piece of gear, it's like, am I willing, like this is a business decision. Am I willing to take a loss on this piece of gear, sell it, incur the 5% reverb fee, which is criminal. (laughs) And, it's like, God forbid you bumped it on reverb for another 3%, and the person's paying with a firm, so you got to pay that thing. I'm not speaking from experience, of course, <laughs> uh, but you take a loss on it, and uh, you get into something that's a little bit more better suited for you and where you are so that you can be better at what you do. And... Uh, yeah, but the nice thing is is that if you uh, file your taxes and everything, you don't actually lose that money. You can kind of write it off at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So it is a loss, and any loss like financially does suck. But, I mean, if it's if it's a business, I mean, just, I don't know, if you take a like a $1,500 loss or a $700 loss, just put it as an expense, write it off. There you go. I'm not going to say it's all deductible until you get audited, but that's definitely legal. <laughs> So, anywho, I actually learned that from uh, my friend's dad, who's a very wealthy dentist in Arizona, and I laughed really hard when I said that, or when he said that. So, anywho, that was my last one, and uh, we got like seven minutes left of this thing. I don't know what your time's like, Sam, but um, I can let you kind of like spew out the rest of your list. Love it. 
Okay, I'll go fast, actually. Uh, one I had was, had to do with taxes. Not getting a CPA until I was behind in taxes made too much money, and then that bit me in the butt. Had to Ooh. pay a lot more. That Ooh. is an awful feeling. Um, to work really hard for a whole year and then realize you haven't been taking enough out, and then you get a tax bill. It makes you feel like you kind of had a terrible year, to be honest. That's how mm. I felt the first year that happened. And then I said, never again. And uh, hasn't happened since. Uh, get a good CPA. Don't be afraid to fire a CPA if they're not good. Please. Most of them suck. Most of them do suck. So Here, real quick. Yeah. Business, business advice. Yes. Half of all CPAs, lawyers, doctors, pretty much anyone in a like professional white-collar career field, half of all those people finished in the bottom half of their class. <laughs> So please do not feel bad about firing somebody if go. they are not a good fit for you. Never thought about that. That's good. Yes. Uh, okay, within that is not understanding money and how much it actually takes to live. That's kind of like a mistake I made early on. Uh, another one that's like really important is not understanding who your target market is when you're Ooh. trying to market to people. So that's I originally good. spent time talking to a bunch of artists or bands or going to shows and then trying to like meet up with bands and go out till 3 a.m. chugging PBR at a bar with them and then mm. eventually being like, I want to mash your record. In reality, for me, it, this is at least in my experience, most of my work comes from mixers, not the band. Mm -hmm. So yep. uh, for mastering engineers out there, focus on the mixers. Focus on making relationships with the mixers who make albums you like. Excuse me, bubble in my throat. Um, so that's a big one. I spent like four years marketing to the wrong people, which is part of my slowness when I started, I think. Hmm. Um, so make sure you're spending your marketing time. People don't enjoy marketing usually very often. Um, but if you're going to market, which you do have to do, do it to the right people. Um, another one I had was not trusting my gut enough um, in like calling records done. So I learned in mastering that, you know, what we do is help people know that their record is done or not and bring them peace of mind is really what we get paid to do, in my opinion. And then the Sonics kind of go with that. But um, I would often trust other people's opinions who were even not uh, mastering engineers early on. I'd, I'd be like, hey, can you listen to this record? And they'd give off all these things about what they thought about it. And then I would make changes and then like maybe send it to the client just because this person has been in the music industry longer. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're more qualified to call a record done um, or even have an opinion that validates making changes. So trust your gut earlier on. Um, within that, I have written down here, uh, not understanding that there are loud people on the internet who literally don't know what they're talking about. Yes. And I trusted them. This is a huge one, that most of the people on the internet are not making records for a living. They 100%. are making a living off selling things, not making records. This isn't good or bad, but you've got to understand that the people who are making records are normally too busy to be on the internet spewing out hours and hours and hours of content over and over again. Um, doesn't mean it's Yo, not possible. If you want, <laughs> if like you hear someone like shooting their shot online, you know what the first thing you need to do is? You need to hop onto their demo reel. Yes. 
check you check out how old it yeah. is. Like it's like whether they have anything relevant or not, or more nonetheless, does the stuff on there sound good? Right. And then you need to make a very quick decision. Do I want to listen to this person's opinion? Yes. Listen to what so. they've done, Google them. If you can't find records they've done, that means they probably haven't done many records or records that have any sort of relevance to the commercial market that you're trying to compete in and make a living in. Uh, within that, I have... Uh, man, I made the mistake of not being able to admit that I wasn't as far along as I thought I was for many years. So... Hmm. When I started out, I thought I want label gigs and I want to be, you know, really. I think I just thought I was a lot farther along than I was. When I'd have like a good month or something financially early on, I'd be like, oh, I made it. And then it'd be like five months of slow. Um, it just takes a long time to build a healthy business with clients that come back over and over again. It just takes a long time. So you got to have patience. And then my final one I have is within that is understanding that pros are consistent and it takes mm -hmm. a lot of time to be consistent and amateurs are inconsistent. And that's something I've noticed a big shift for me when people started to, uh, I'll say, respect my work or think that, hey, he's actually good at this. It's about the time, probably five or six years in, when my work really started to be consistent because I had enough experience finally of knowing where mixes are and what finished records sound like and knowing how to get from A to B uh, and troubleshooting, basically. Having been through enough situations to know when this comes in, I know what I need to do after listening to it, listening to the client and what their goals are. So mm -hmm. you know you're a pro when you are consistent. I think that's, if you can go through your catalog or your current work, you know, you look at like pro athletes, they're consistent uh, more than they are not. And that's the sign of a professional. So uh, that was a mistake early on. I thought, ah, I'm just, I can just be awesome and I'm going to be a pro. And then it was like, this record sounds great, but this one I didn't make sound great. And it could have been my fault. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's the last on my list. Those were quick, but they're things that are important and mistakes. They're all really good. I made. Okay, I'm done. Take us home, Matt. Cool. So, y'all should go into a comment and tell us what mistakes you learned Ooh, early on. Yes. A little, a little homework for you. <laughs> so, anyway, queuing up from the background of the podcast, you'll hear a sweet beat made by the one and only, the lovely Sam Moses. Woo, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to buy any one of his many beats, you yeah, take your little happy butt on over to BeesBeats.com where you can find him, his beats, and I believe a picture of him hanging out in the 96 Bowls gear. So That's it. That's it. So, once again, like we said in the beginning, if you need any you know, little master in services, learn from people who have uh, kind of like, you know, not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you need anything, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. And, uh, yeah, if you like what we said, feel free to drop us a comment, a like, some stars, or, most importantly, share this episode with a friend. Um, 
yeah, so morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. The what people have been waiting the whole episode for like for is to hear the sweet outro. <laughs> That's what I do when I'm first reviewing this. Sam sends these to me and I'm like, okay, what intro and outro did he pick? And so <laughs> I skip I, I skip all the meat and potatoes. I just go straight to the music. Anywho, morning, afternoon, even, whatever you're all having, have a darn good one. Catch y'all in the next episode. Cue the music, bud. QA. See ya.